Hello, welcome to the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church Shrewsbury. We meet every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. in Southern York County, Pennsylvania. You can join our morning live stream on Facebook or YouTube. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury. You can find more information about us at gfcshrewsbury.org. We are so excited to bring you this message today, and it is our hope that you will come to know and believe Jesus Christ more fully through it. Well, good morning, Grace family. Are you ready to see his glory? We see his glory when we lift him up in song. We see him when we glorify him through seeing his, uh, looking at him through his word this morning. So that's what we're here to do. We're here to see his glory. So we're going to, uh, don't, don't worry, we're going to lift him up in song again later on in the service a few times. But we're going to move uh, to a time in his word. And, uh, you know, if you were with us last week, uh, we took a pause from our uh, journey through the gospel of John. We took a pause to welcome Pastor Jeff back through video and, and celebrate that he was back with us and, and also celebrate all that the Lord had done in him and our sister Tracy through the sabbatical time. If you have not checked that out, for the few of you who, uh, most of you I imagine have, have seen it or were in attendance last Sunday, but if you haven't, I encourage you to check that out um, on our YouTube page. You can see the, the message to hear how God has moved in, in, in Pastor Jeff's life and in Tracy's life in personal ways and personal revelation. And it was inspiring to hear that for, because I heard a longing in all of us that he would move in, in, in similar ways in our lives, that we would figure out how we're designed to fulfill his purposes. But then Pastor Jeff also talked to us about the next season of grace and some of the things the Lord might be doing as we move forward. He talked about this, this new form, not, not replacing Sundays, but in addition to Sundays, about utilizing technology as a way to, to gather together at any point in the week to, to find connection with brothers and sisters in Christ and to participate in the growth and discipleship that, that Jesus is inviting us into day to day. Anybody need more of that? Yeah, yeah, so there's a lot to celebrate there. I encourage you to check that out. Um, and, and this morning, though, we are getting back into uh, the Gospel of John. We're continuing in chapter 13. Um, and I just want to uh, pray one more time uh, before we dive into God's Word. Would you pray with me? Lord, we are here for you. And we're not here to hear from me or anybody else. We're here to hear from you. We, we just sang out, show us your glory. We continue that cry in our hearts right now. We want to see your glory. We want to experience your goodness. We want to learn more about your love for us, Lord. We want to see afresh the good news that maybe we've heard a thousand times before. Let's, let us see it fresh this morning, God. God, we invite you to speak to us in whatever ways our, our week has gotten to us, whether we walk in here full of joy or carrying heavy weight, Lord. God, we lay everything that this week has held, we lay it at your feet. And we say to you, Jesus, have your way in us. Have your way in us this morning, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so we are continuing in John chapter 13. And... Um, if you uh, have been with us in this series a lot, hopefully you have one of our uh, Gospel of John journals. They are uh, out in the lobby. If you haven't picked one up yet, it's just Scripture, just the Gospel of John. I don't happen to have one with me, but they're out there. Um, scripture on one side and blank pages on the other, and, and you are uh, welcome to take that and just take notes in that and use that for your own journaling. Use that to experience the Word of God in fresh ways throughout your week as well. And one of the other things you'll find out there is something we've pointed to frequently throughout this journey is this devotional form. You know, sometimes we get in a rut of experiencing Scripture in certain ways. And we just kind of do whatever your normal thing is. You could just kind of do it. You could just kind of read it the same way you always read it. And, and, I, and I love this form because mine, mine's a little bent up because I kind of keep it with my reading because it gives us new ways to experience the word of God together. And so it, it tells us we can paraphrase it. After you read a, a, a scripture, sometimes it's helpful to put it in your own thoughts, put it in your own words, not to change the word of God, 
but, but to experience it in a fresh way and then go, go back and check it, right? Don't just go off your paraphrase. <laughs> That's not what we're saying. Go back and check it against the word of God. But you can also personalize it. So you can take, take a verse like, for God so loved the word and put your own name in it. For God so loved you. For God so loved Ben. For God so loved Chris. For God so loved Ross. That he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but should have eternal life. So you can personalize it. One of the other ones it gives you here is you can picture it. You can picture it. And I like, I like doing this. I, I identify with movies and plays a lot. So I, I like picturing what's going on in a scripture in my mind. And that's what I want to do with our passage this morning in John chapter 13. But here's the problem with picturing things sometimes is sometimes we picture them wrong. Um, I said that and I realized I should have come up with a funny example, right? And I don't have one. So we're just going to move into how we, how we could picture this passage wrong. We're, we're in the, the Last Supper right now. John chapter 13, the Last Supper has started. Jesus with his disciples. And one of the ways we, we might be familiar, in, familiar with picturing it is like this. This is da Vinci's painting of the Last Supper. It's an incredible painting, beautiful painting. And I don't want to minimize Da Vinci, he's a far better artist than I ever would be. <laughs> Incredible man of faith from what I know. Um, and, and yet, the Last Supper probably didn't look much like this. Um, culturally, we've come to understand a little bit more about how they used to eat meals and how this supper probably happened. And it probably didn't happen at a high table. The J Jesus and his disciples probably weren't um, in chairs, in fact, John is going to tell us in a few verses that they were reclining at the table. What does that look like? They probably weren't all sitting on one side of the table facing an audience like this, right? So the, the table they were eating at probably looked more like this. This is a, a, a U-shaped table. This is the kind of table a lot of times they would eat at back in those days when they would have a feast or a dinner party together. It was called a, a triclinium table. It's a table that's U-shaped and has an opening in the middle so that whoever is serving food can come into the middle and, and, and reach anywhere across the table to distribute more food. And it's also low to the ground. So they wouldn't have actually been sitting in chairs. They would have been reclining at the table like John is about to tell us. They would have been reclining there, probably leaning. Most, most people probably leaned on their left elbow and then they would eat with their right hand. And I'd, that doesn't seem really comfortable to me, but that's the way they used to, they used to eat. And in fact, as they sat around this table, as we look at the passage, a lot of scholars agree that we probably know where some of the people were actually sitting. So as we picture, as we walk through the scripture, I want, I want to help us picture this today, is this is where some of the seating arrangement might have been. This is what we might have known. Now, I know we started with Da Vinci, and now this is like the Last Supper Minecraft version, but just... <laughs> Walk with me there. I don't know if there's a level like that. I don't know anything about Minecraft, but maybe there's a Bible level. If not, start one, somebody. Um, but, but this is where uh, some of the people at the Last Supper were most likely sitting. We know this. Why? Because the, the, the triclinium was a, a, a U-shaped table like this, and the host of the meal would sit second from the right, where Jesus is placed in this picture. That's where the host would sit, and he's very much the host of this meal, Right? And we'll, we'll see where, uh, according to the text, we think John and Judas were sitting uh, by what we're going to learn in a moment. And we think Peter, we know he wasn't sitting next to Jesus. He was probably across the table. In fact, when Jesus washed his feet, it seems like Peter might be the last one he gets to, which means Peter would have been in this position at the very far end of the table. That was the position for the servant. <laughs> if you didn't have servants in this, those days, this was the guy, this was your buddy, this was whoever was going to serve everybody else. This is where they would sit which would also explain why, why Peter was really not wanting Jesus to wash his feet, right? So this is maybe where they were sitting, and I want us to keep this in mind as we read through the passage. Jesus has just started washing. He, he's just come back from washing the disciples' feet. He's put his outer garment back on, and he sat down at the table, and he's, he's told them, do you understand what I've done? Just, just the way I served you, I want you to serve and love each other the way I just served you because I'm your master. And if I did it, you can do it too. And, and, and so he's said this to them and then we pick it up. Um, he, he says in verse 17, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And then in verse 18 where we pick it up this morning, he says this, I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Jesus is 
quoting Psalm 41 here, which on the surface wouldn't look like a psalm that refers to Jesus if you read back. But Jesus says, no, it does refer to me. (laughs) He says, there's a lot more in this stuff. In in this book, there's a whole lot more about me than, than you might understand at face value. Keep digging. There's more about him. He says, um, This scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, when you do see someone betray me, you may believe that I am. That I am. See, I'm telling you what's going to happen so that you understand when it does happen. Jesus knew it already. He must be God in the flesh I am. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Now, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in spirit, and he testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. And so you can imagine them around this U-shaped table looking at one another, and, and maybe they're looking at, I wonder if it's you, pal. Uh, <laughs> I wonder, I wonder who it is around here. And they might have been looking at each other with accusation, but you know what we find out in the other Gospels? We know one question they were asking, is it, is it me? Oh, somebody's going to betray you? Is it, is it me? Because they were uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, oh, my page isn't flipping. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. John is going to refer to himself five times as this disciple who Jesus loved. And it says that he was at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter, who would have been across the table, motioned to him, to John, to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? And this seems really weird to us as we picture this because some, some translations say that he leaned back against Jesus' chest. And that's kind of weird for guys to do, right? But if you think about what they were doing here, John, Jesus, all the disciples around were leaning around the table and they were leaning on one elbow and eating with their hands. And so John at the table, Jesus would have been behind him. And so as the disciples continue talking and conversation goes on, Peter says, listen, ask him. And John wants to ask, but he doesn't want anybody else to hear. So he would lean back, Jesus, who is it? And whisper, and, and nobody else heard. We know nobody else heard because the disciples didn't understand what happens in a few minutes. John says, Jesus, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. And as far as we know, John was the only one who heard this. So he's the only one who really knows the significance of what's about to happen. So when Jesus had dipped the morsel, he gets a piece of bread, he dips it in gravy or sauce or olive oil, whatever they have on the table there. He dips it and he gave it to Judas. So where was Judas? Judas was close enough that Jesus could reach him. So he was probably right next to him on the other side. He gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, after Judas had taken it, Satan entered into him. And we hear this and we think like demon possession and we think poltergeist or whatever, whatever movies you might have seen about demon possession and like takes over somebody's will completely. We don't know exactly what this looked like, but we do know from John, it seems like Judas' will was still in place. If you read the rather scripture, it it seems like Judas had a choice in what he did. And and Satan entered Judas. It said Judas was participating in this in some way. Judas was welcoming him in. Whether he knew it or not, he was aligning his will with the will of the enemy of the God of all creation by what he was planning to do. Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew because they hadn't heard. No one at the table knew why he said this. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what you need for the feast because Passover was going to continue in the next day. They were going to need more food. Judas was maybe going out to buy more food for the next day or, or that he should give something to the poor because this is what Jewish people did during Passover feast. Once a year, it was pretty common tradition to, send, to give some money to the poor around you. So this would have been typical. Maybe Jesus is going to do that. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he went, immediately went out, and it was night. 
John says, it was night. And he's telling us a lot more than just what time of day it is. Because if you've been paying attention through the Gospel of John, there's been this theme we've seen over and over and over again, right, of light and darkness. Jesus said back in chapter 9, we must do the works of God while it is day. Why? Because night is coming. Night's coming. He says back in uh, chapter 12, I have come into the world uh, as light so that whoever believes in me may not walk in darkness. Judas didn't believe and he goes out into the night. Now when he had gone out, when he had gone out, look how the temperature of the room changes. When he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified. Now this is what's going to happen. It's begun. Judas went out. The first domino has fallen. And it's going to end in my glorification at the cross and death and resurrection. Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in me, in, in Jesus he's referring to, if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him, that's Jesus, in himself. They're both going to be glorified. God the Father, God the Son, they're both going to be glorified. And glorify him at once. Jesus says, little children, yet a little while, just a little while, I'm with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. See, Peter even understands, like you, if, if you're talking about death, I'm, I'm for it. I'm here. I'm going to lay down my life. And Jesus says, will you lay down your life for me? He says, truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Sorry to end on a downer. That's where we are. So chapter 13 has started into this final discourse is what it's called. The Last Supper begins. It's Jesus', Jesus final hours with his disciples before the cross. And, and John spends the most time here of any gospel. Chapters 13 through 17 are all part of this. Jesus knows his time has come, and this is his last chance to communicate in person to his disciples before he goes to the cross to share what he needs to share, to pray what he needs to pray. This is the final discourse. And I would encourage you over the next few weeks, we're going to be here in, in these chapters, 13 through 17, for the next six weeks, give or take. I want to encourage you to take some time to just read the final discourse, 13 through 17, all in one sitting. Read it all at once. Take, you can read it slowly, meditatively. It'll take like maybe 15, 20 minutes. Just choose a couple times to do that because what you're going to see is John's going to, Jesus, through this, is going to revisit these themes again and again and again, and you're going to be, begin to see uh, new facets of truth in these verses because we're, we're modern Western people, right? And we think linearly. So when you teach me something, teach me, just teach me it in order. That's what I got. That's, that's not the way ancient Jewish teachers and speakers and writers did. That's not the way they communicated. They, they communicated circularly. So they kept revisiting theme, uh, themes again and again and again. And we've seen that uh, already in chapter 13. One of the themes that, that Jesus keeps revisiting and that John keeps hinting at is Judas' betrayal. Just in this one chapter, it's referred to like four or five times. But, but I want to focus on one other theme that's, that John keeps bringing up and that Jesus keeps bringing up in chapter 13. It's what Jesus knows. It's what Jesus knows. See, the chapter started out with all these things that Jesus knew. Jesus knew his time had come. Jesus knew that all power, all authority had been given into his hands by the Father. Jesus knew where he came from, and Jesus knew where he was going. He knew all of those things, so he got up and washed feet, right? And now, now John tells us Jesus knew something else. I know, Jesus says, I know whom I have chosen. I know whom I've chosen. He was referring to everybody around that table. He knows everybody around that table. He knows Judas. 
Not just the Judas everybody sees. He knows the real Judas. See, the, the Judas everybody sees is the guy they've been hanging out with for two or three years, right? The guy who holds the money bag, he runs down to the grocery store to pick up stuff for him. He helps collect uh, donations for the poor. He, he helped ha- hand out the bread and, and, and the fish when Jesus fed the 5,000. They've been walking with this guy, laughing with this guy, doing life with this guy for two or three years. That's the Judas they see. But Jesus, he knows all of Judas. He knows Judas is the man who's kind of conflicted right now, who doesn't understand Jesus' mission or his work. He, he knows the real Judas who some days likes money more than ministry. He knows the real Judas who just, just helps himself to the money pot once in a while. He knows the real Judas who truly, truly is going to betray him. That's the Judas he knows. And Jesus knows who he's chosen. He knows the real Peter. <laughs> he, knows, he knows the real Peter. Not just the Peter that everybody sees on the surface. Not the bold guy who's always walking in front everywhere they go. Not the first guy to volunteer. Peter was probably like, like that guy in front of the class who's raising his hand every time the teacher says something, right? Come on, Peter, again. Like, let somebody else answer for once. That's what everybody sees. They, they see the guy who, who steps out on six-foot waves to walk on the surface with Jesus. They see that guy. Jesus sees the real Peter. Jesus sees all of him. Jesus sees the Peter who, who says one thing when he's with this group of people and, and does something else when he's with another group. Jesus sees the Peter who says he's going to die for him but he's not going to yet. Jesus sees the Peter who truly, truly will deny him three times later tonight. But before we're too hard on Peter, (laughs) the other disciples aren't much different. Jesus sees the the real side of them too. They're all going to run. In just a few hours, he's going to ask them to pray and they all fall asleep. Jesus is going to enter the darkest time in his life and they're all going to run. Jesus sees it. Jesus knows them all. And Jesus knows you and me, right? Like, listen, we've got to sit with it. Jesus knows all of us all the way. Not just, not just the, the us that we put forward this morning, right? That walked in here smiling. Not just the us that's dressed nice. Not just the, the online us that we put up with the pictures and the nice filter on Facebook or whatever. Not just the us that we want people to see. Jesus sees all of us. The whole way. Everything. Every failure. Every, every mistake. Every I could have done something else. Everything I should have done something else. Jesus sees all of it. Is anybody nervous? I mean... I mean, maybe we should be. Let me, <laughs> I want to take you to Psalm 139 a, a, a minute. I was, I was thinking about this. Psalm 139, if you're not familiar with it, it's a great psalm. Search me, O God, and know me, right? It's a really comforting psalm. So I encourage you to go, uh, go home and read the entire psalm because there's a lot of solid truth in here about God, how God is present with us. God cares for us. There's so much comfort to be found in this psalm. Go home and read it because I'm not going to read the comfortable verses. I'm going to read the uncomfortable ones. <laughs> Because sometimes I don't think we linger enough on those uncomfortable ones. Listen, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. This morning, when you sat down in church or on your couch, (laughs) welcome everybody online. When you sat down, wherever you're sitting down, he knew. When you got up from your bed this morning, he knew. When you sat down at work this past week, he knew. When he sat down at the dinner table and when he got up from it, he knew. But, it, but it, he just doesn't know what you're doing and where you are. He says, you discern my thoughts. God discerns our thoughts from afar. He knows what you're thinking. So when you're on that Zoom call and you were all peeved at your coworker, but you held it back, <laughs> good for you. But he knew. When you rose up from the dinner table after you just lost it with your kids or your parents, he knew. When you were holding on to resentment and bitterness because of something some, somebody had done for you and you know you should have let it go a while ago and you're still holding on to it, he knows. When you sat down at your computer and you clicked on that website, nobody else knows, he knows. 
He knows every single thought. He knows. You search out my path and my lying down. He knows where you're going and he knows why. He knows why you're going there. And you're, you're lying down. Every time in the past few weeks where you, you rested in the finished work of Jesus Christ and you, you rested and took, took peace in his love for you, every time he knew it, and every time you took rest in something besides him, he knew it. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it altogether. Every single word you spoke, every single word you wrote, Every single word you posted, he knows. Like every kind word, every careless word, every cruel word, he knows all of it. Anybody want to hide yet? Where are those fig leaves? Maybe that's why David says a little later, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I go anywhere, heaven, death, Morning, across the sea, every, everywhere, you're, you're there. If I say, if I want to hide, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light be, uh, about me be night. If I want to get swallowed up by the night, just like Judas was swallowed up by the night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. Man, this is something we need to hear this morning because we can put on a good face when people see us. Oh, but the real us? Like anybody tired of the real me? The real you? The one that nobody else knows might be there, but you know is, is there? Brennan Manning says this. I love this quote. You've probably heard it before maybe. I know it's been spoken by some others up here, but Brennan Manning says this. When I get honest, I admit I am a bundle of paradoxes. I believe and I doubt. I hope and I get discouraged. I love and I hate. I feel bad about feeling good. I feel guilty about not feeling guilty. I am trusting and suspicious. I'm honest and I still play games. Aristotle said I am a rational animal. I say I am an angel with an incredible capacity for beer. <laughs> like, when we get honest, gut level honest, look in the mirror, don't worry about anybody else around it. Like, aren't we a mess? And Jesus knows all of it. Man, I get tired of the mess. I get hard on myself because of the mess. You probably do too. How does Jesus respond to our mess? So Jesus knew all of Judas, right? He knew that Judas was going to betray him. And you know how Jesus responded? Judas was sitting right next to him. You know why that's significant? Because the host of the meal who would have been sitting at that chair not at the chair, <laughs> who would have been reclining <laughs> second to the left. The host of the meal chooses who sits on his right and his left. And you know the most special position? You know the position everybody wanted? It was right to the left. That was the position of honor. And that's where Jesus put Judas. And Jesus takes some bread and he dips it. And you know, that's not just some random thing. That's what they used to do back in the day. If you were the host of the meal, you took bread and you dipped it and you gave it to somebody. And you know what it was? It was a sign of honor. It was a sign of, listen, affection. It was a sign of, come share a meal with me. I love you. And I want you to be part of this most intimate thing we can do to, get, to share a meal. It meant far more back then than, we, than it does today. Jesus knew all of Judas. And listen, he loved him. Even in his betrayal, he loved him. He reached out to him. He had affection for him. What about Peter? He knew all of Peter. He knew all of Peter and all those other disciples, and he knew what they were going to do in just a few hours. And you know what he does after this? He goes and tells them, you know where I'm going? I'm going to prepare a place for you so you can be with me. Little children, it's just a little bit, but don't worry, I'm preparing a place for you. And he goes on, Throughout, read, read it, chapter 13 through 7. He goes on and he prays the most profound prayers for them. And, and, and he, says, he says, not only am I preparing a place for you, I, I have a promise for you. I'm going to send my spirit to live in you. 
you deniers, you runners. I'm just going to send my spirit to live in you. He invites them to abide with him. And he calls them friends. Guys that are going to fall asleep in his worst hour, he calls them friends. Jesus knows them completely, and he loves them. And he loves you. Not just, not, just, not just the you that is all shiny and that we can see. He loves the real you. Like, like take all of you right now. Take, take all, of the, all of the failures, all of the mistakes, all of the judgments, all of the resentments, all of the anxiety, all of the lack of trust, all, all of the times you've fallen flat on your face, all of the time, listen, two weeks ago we talked about Jesus washing our feet, right? How did we do the past two weeks? Jesus has been washing your feet. My, my white shoes are a little more dirty than they were. Anybody tired of this struggle? Tired of always falling down? Do you know how Jesus meets us in that? He loves us fully. I know you've heard this before, but listen, the real you, that's the you he loves. He doesn't love your sin, but he loves the true you that nobody else sees. That's the you he loves. That's the you he came for. Listen, Brennan Manning again. He says, if Jesus appeared at your dining room table tonight, so he's at a dining table with his disciples, right? But what if tonight Jesus appeared at your dining room table with knowledge of everything you are and are not? Total comprehension of your life story and every skeleton hidden in your closet. If he laid out the real estate of your present discipleship with the hidden agenda, the mixed motives, the dark desires buried in your psyche, you would feel what? What would you feel? You would feel his acceptance and forgiveness. For experiencing God's love in Jesus Christ means experiencing that one has been unreservedly accepted, approved, and infinitely loved. Do you know you're infinitely loved this morning? Right where you're at? With every bump, bruise, wart, all of it, you're loved. You're loved. How do we know? How do we know? We look at the cross. We look at the cross. See, Jesus did something else for his disciples that night. John doesn't tell us about it, but the, the, other, the other gospel writers do. Jesus, in the meal that he shared with them, he initiated this, this sacrament of communion. That's what we're going to celebrate today. In, in, in a few minutes, on your way in, you should have picked this up on your way in. If you didn't, raise your hand and there will be a, a few ushers around. Just keep your hands up. There will be a few folks around who can hand those out to you. Listen, Jesus initiated this as something for us to receive. He initiated this with his disciples who were about to fall asleep and run from him. And it wasn't something they had earned. It wasn't something they, they lived up to. It was something he just offered. He, he offered them bread to just eat. Already baked, already taken care of. They didn't have to do anything for it. All they had to do was receive it. They, he, he just offered them a cup of wine. They didn't have to squeeze the grapes. It was already like, all they had to do was receive it. Do you know that's, that's what Jesus invites us to in him? So, You've heard this a thousand times before, maybe, or maybe this is the first time, but do you know Jesus loves you? And it's not a love that you are worthy of. It's not a love you earned. He loves you because he loves you. And so what's our response? Our response is just to receive, just like we receive these. Our response is to receive because, because before any of our mess started, before you and I were even born, in fact, thousands of years before that, Jesus sat with his disciples before going to the cross. And he took up some bread and he said, listen, this is my body and it's going to be broken for you. I'm going to offer it for you. Before you could do anything, before you could respond in any way to God, Jesus Christ offered his body broken for you, the real you, because he loves you. Can we receive again what this means for us today? Jesus lifted the bread and he broke it and he said, take 
and eat. This is my body broken for the real you. Let's take this with an awareness of what it means. And then he took the cup. He took the cup that they didn't earn, that they didn't deserve, but he was going to pour out anyway. He said, this cup, this is a symbol of my blood. And it's poured out for all of those failures, for all of those mistakes, for all of those half-hearted attempts to please me, for all of those ways that you would never be worthy of me. This blood is poured out for the real you because I love you. Let's take this with an awareness of what it means. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you loved Judas. Even in the midst of his betrayal, we thank you that you loved Peter. Even though he's going to deny you, the disciples, even though they were going to run, we thank you that you loved us. That as you went to the cross, you saw what we deserved. The real us, what we deserve because of everything we've done, every way we've rejected you, Jesus, every way we've run. Jesus, you saw what we deserve, that we deserve death. Because we offended the God who made us. We took his offer of life and we spit on it and we ran our own way. You saw that we deserve death. And Jesus, you came down. And he said, I've, I've got this. I'm going to die so that you don't have to die. I'm going to take the penalty of your sin on myself. And Jesus, I thank you that when you were lifted up, it was, it was even in the lifting up, God. We don't understand it. Even though we've heard it a bunch of times before, even for those of us who have responded before to your love, God, it doesn't stagger us like it should. Set us in awe again of your love for us, Jesus. I thank you for the depth of that love that sought us out in our mess. You sought out the real us because you loved us and you draw us back to yourself. Jesus, I thank you that your blood washes us clean from every sin. That as we receive the gift of your salvation, knowing it was for, for ourselves, not just everybody else, it was for us as we receive that gift, Lord. We are saved because your work is finished. Jesus, we don't understand it, but we celebrate it this morning. We thank you for your finished work on the cross. in your precious name that we pray. Amen. We're just going to take a moment or two to respond to Jesus' incredible act of sacrifice for us through worship. Sometimes grace, the things that need to go grow strangely dim, sometimes it's, it's that stuff in the mirror. When we look at ourselves and we're just, we're just done. We're just ready to give up on ourselves because I thought, I, I thought it'd be further along than this by now. I know I, know I didn't earn salvation, but <laughs> isn't, it, isn't there some stuff I'm supposed to do afterwards? Well, yeah, but, it, but you didn't earn salvation and you don't earn the rest of it. Jesus' love, God's love is a free gift today just as much as it was 2,000 years ago. Jared Wilson, <laughs> I love this quote, he, said, he says, listen, you are far more sinful than you think. You are far more sinful than you realize. Sometimes we look at the cross and we forget just how bad our sin had to be to put him through that. <laughs> so Jared Wilson says, you are far more sinful than you think, but listen, you're far more loved than you Do you know how much you're loved this morning, Grace? Can I tell you something you don't? <laughs> However much you think you're loved, it's way more than that. 
So how do we respond in light of love like that? How do we respond what we receive? Because that's all we can do. We can't work for it. We can't earn it. We can, we can receive. And, and so we, we just receive that and we say, Jesus, the sacrifice that you gave on that cross, it was for me. It just wasn't for everybody else. It was for, it was for me. And, and you're my Savior. So from here on out, I'm calling you my Lord. I'm giving you everything. And we do it imperfectly. But we do it. And we don't do it to earn his love. We do it because his love is already given to us. And then Jesus actually gives us one more way to respond in this passage. He, he says this. In the midst of it, you know, again, we have these circles, right, of, of denying and betraying and all these things. And then in the middle of those circles of that theme, there's this. A new command I give to you, that you love one another. You love one another. I've got something for you to do. <laughs> Not to earn my love, but because you have my love. I've got something for you to do. Love one another. And listen, this is a new command. That doesn't sound very new, does it? Love one another. I can figure that one out. Even if I didn't know anything about the Bible, hey, yeah, we should love each other. Everybody's telling us to love each other. If you know the Bible, love one another. Love one another is a way old command. All, all the way back in the Old Testament, back to Deuteronomy, God gave the law and he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love one another as you love you. Huh. <laughs> but sometimes I look in the mirror and I don't love me very much. I don't even like me. So, if I've any, ever loved any of you the way I love me, I'm sorry. <laughs> Here's what's new about the command. <laughs> Don't love one another the way you love you. Just as I have loved you, you are, also, you are also to love one another. Don't love like you love you. Love like I love you. That's what Jesus says. And he loved the real you. He loved the, the, the really real you that you want to keep secret from everybody else that nobody else knows. He loved that you. Now go love others that way, no matter what you know about them. Right, because when you're in a relationship with people, eventually, if you're in deep enough relationship with people, I don't care if it's your significant other or your family or your parents or your friends, if you're in relationship with people, eventually you're going to find out, you're going to get to know stuff about them that, man, honestly, we'd be better off not knowing, Right? They get a little harder to love when you know that stuff about them. I got that stuff about me. You got that stuff about you. And everybody we, we love has that stuff about them. Do we love them anyway? Listen, we're free to now. We're, because we've been loved like Christ loved us, Christ loved the real us, we're free to love the real other people before they change. Before they change. You didn't do anything to earn God's love. Do people in your life have to do anything to earn your love? Oof. Preaching to myself now. Like, I, I, was, <laughs> I was getting to, I was trying to get, help my kids understand God's love one time. This was a couple years back. Um, I, I was trying to get my kids, I've got three kids, Abby, Asher, and Lainey. Abby's my oldest, she's 12 now. She was like 10 at the time or nine or 10 at the time. I was trying to get him to understand God's love and I said, like, listen, God loves you no matter what. He doesn't love you only if you're good. He doesn't love you only when you like him. He doesn't love you only when you like other people. He doesn't love you only when you're praying. He doesn't love you only when you remember to read your Bible. He doesn't love you only when you treat your brother and sister nice. He doesn't love you, and my, my daughter, Abby, she cut me off because I guess I kept going, <laughs> as dads tend to do, <laughs> as, as preachers tend to do too. I got bad combination, or my kids have a bad combination of me, I guess. But, but Abby cut me off. I'm going, God, God doesn't love you only. If, and, and she says, Dad, I know, God has no onlys. I said, oh, yeah, <laughs> you got it. <laughs> God has no onlys. That's how you've been loved. God doesn't love you only if anything God loves you. No onlys. So, 
So let me ask us, <laughs> what's our onlys? For other people, what's our onlys? I love other people, but only if they like me. I love only other people, but only if they do what I expect them to do. I, I love other people, but only if they meet my needs. <laughs> I love other people, but only if they look sharp. I love other people, but only if they don't embarrass me. I love other people only, 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 only. What are your onlys? Listen, Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. No onlys. The only way we can do that, <laughs> the only way we can do that is if we understand that God loves us with no onlys on us. Man, if I'm loved that way, then I'm free to love other people that way. We're love, free to love no onlys. And, and listen, like we, we hear this, we, we say, yeah, I'm supposed to love other people. We think that's setting no boundaries on people. Like we think, I, I just got to let people do what they're going to do then. No, 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 like you can set boundaries. We're not talking about trust here. Trust is something different. See, trust is something to be earned. A lot of times we think love looks like enabling. If I'm going to love somebody right in their mess, I'm going to love them, love them before they're, so, I'm just going to let them do their thing, continue in their, um, continue in their addiction, continue in their cruelty, continue in whatever. They're, they're just going to continue. No, no, no. That, no, you're allowed to set boundaries. That's, that's trust. They've got to earn that. But love, they don't have to earn that. You can set boundaries with love. You can. Are we? Are we doing that? So what are your onlys? I got a few next steps for us this week. Meditate on his unconditional love for you. Listen, if you're loving people conditionally, it's because you don't know that you're loved unconditionally. No onlys. Some of us just need to sit with that for a while. Just need to rest in that. Just need to take stock and look in the mirror and say, make a whole list of all of our mess and all of our good stuff and, and, and say, you know what? All of the mess, God, God loves me in spite of all of that. God loves me in the midst of all of that. And all that good stuff, I don't have to keep going to earn his love. I've already got his love before that. And so some of us need to sit with that. And, and, and here's an, another thing to take away. Make a list of your onlys. I love people only if they what? What are your onlys? And, and here's the thing. Confess them. Then realize that you're loving people this way and Jesus has called us to love like him. So are we loving people the way he loved us? Pick one person that you've been loving conditionally. Pick one person. If you go through that list, you say, I've been loving only people only this way. I've been loving these people only because of this. And, and you, that person comes to mind. You know that person. <laughs> that you love sometimes. <laughs> but you've been holding back because they're a mess. Or because they're treating you like a mess. Find that one person who you've been loving conditionally and, and, and walk in Amends. You know what amends is? It's, it's not just saying I'm sorry. It's making it right. It's choosing a new way of being around somebody. For somebody, that's, that might be going up to somebody you've been loving conditionally and saying, I'm so sorry. I've been holding back because of some things I've seen or some ways I've experienced you. I'm so sorry you've experienced me this way and I, I want to walk differently. I want to love you better. And, and, and then there's also what's called a living amends. See, some people... Some things, some of our wrongs are all up here, right? <laughs> and so sometimes it's not okay to walk up to somebody and say, listen, you know what? I have been having these resentments against you for three years. And they're like, what? You just, you just created a mess inside of their head, right? That they're going to have to go deal with. Some, like, sometimes that's not okay to go say that. You just got to deal with that in you. And sometimes what we do is they call it a living amends. It doesn't mean you walk up and put it into words to them. It just means you live it out. Just start on a new path of loving them well right where they're at and right where you're at. Start a new pattern of love with them. And, and then continue reading in John. Read the passage for next week you see up on the screen, but take some time to read through 13 through 17. And listen, as we love like Jesus loves, you know what he says? Here's, here's the promise. You know what he says? He's not the only one who gets to know the real us. 
He says, you go love like me. You go out into the world. Now that you've experienced my love, go out into the world and love like that. And if you love like that, I'm not the only one who's going to know the real you. You know who's going to know the real you? Everybody. This is what he says. By this, all people will know. They're going to know. What are they going to know about us? That you're my disciples. They're going to know the most important thing about you and me. If we love like this, they're going to know that he's called us. They're going to know that he's rescued us. They're going to know that Jesus has redeemed us. They're going to know that we've received Jesus' love because that's the only way we can love like this. They're going to know that he's called us his disciples. Church, can we be a people who walk out this morning and love like he loves so that everybody might know the best thing they can know about us, that he called us and that we're his. Would you stand to your feet? Let's pray this morning. Lord God, I thank you that you have called us. I thank you that when we were in our sin and in our rebellion, you have called us to yourself. And God, I thank you for just the invitation to respond to that call. Lord, we, we come before you now and declare once again, you are our Savior. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And there is no way but to the Father but through you. You are our Savior. And God, we call you Lord. We lay it down once again like we have to every day. We lay down our lives at your feet. God, have your way over us. May we experience your love today, Jesus. May we take your word deep in our heart to know that you love us right now. We don't have to prove anything to anybody. We don't have to earn your love tomorrow. It's given freely. You love the real me. God, let us walk out of here knowing that, that we might love others the same way, no matter what we know about them. Love them anyway. We didn't have to earn it, God. Help us to not make other people earn it either. Let us love like you loved. Thank you for calling us yours. Jesus, we call you worthy. For all that you have done, for all that you are continuing to do in us, you are worthy of our praise, you are worthy of our lives and we give them back to you. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message. You can find more like it on our website under sermons. To keep up to date with our sermon series, hit the subscribe button in your podcast host and follow our social media pages. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury on the platform of your choice. If you're looking to connect with us further, then you can email us at connect at gfcshrewsbury.org. We will be back next week with another message. We hope to see you again soon.